0: Endswell Boxing. Welcome on in Ireland's boxing weekly podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic, and international. If you'd like to listen to any or all of a back catalogue of almost 200 episodes, perhaps you just want to find the links to our YouTube channel or any of our social media platforms. Go to www.endswellpod.com on the past, present, and future of Irish boxing. Welcome on in. It's been a minute, hasn't it? Cards on the table? Being brutally honest. Yeah, it's it's taken a little time to get my mojo back. But uh, I can honestly say right now, it is coming back. Thought shocked a rash. Without going into all of that, I want to just remind you that it is, and always will be, a privilege and a pleasure to be in your ears for this episode, and every and any other episode I've ever recorded. For this brief one is one I've done way back on April 9th and was born out of uh, a real frustration and no little annoyance about seven weeks on from the Josh Taylor and Jack Catterall fight where and when it seemed at that time that every sports observer every fan and stroke pundit whatever you want to call them the general dogs in the street were telling everyone that they cared so much that they would not rest never rest until justice as they saw it would be served the reason I didn't put that episode out at that time an even greater boxing scandal was about to break only a few days later and that of course was the MTK and OCG stuff that went all around that and I decided just to take a little bit of a step back and when you take a step back and take your foot off that pedal sometimes I didn't realise at the time sometimes it's just uh, not as easy to put your foot back on the pedal again but as I said we're on the way back there now. And before you listen to this episode, I would like to say that everything beyond this little brief monologue is as it was recorded back in April. The only edit, as I said, is to introduce it here today from July 2nd. So have a listen, see what you think. And I think it's very interesting and uh, maybe, maybe I feel a little bit good about myself thinking that the news that's broken the last few days in pertaining to that fight might just be as I thought and hoped and wished for back in April thank you again for your patience i hope that my absence or the airwaves hasn't caused you to lose interest uh, bear with me over the next couple there's one real big informative episode coming out which is going to kick start, shall we say the uh, part two of this podcast journey we're now six weeks on from jack Catterall versus josh taylor what's changed a little bit of a different style episode this just a short one as well if we can And I know, I've said that before. And what brings this change, you ask? Well, I was writing, preparing for a series I'm doing right now. I happened to read a tweet from a fellow who I have been listening to and learning a lot from over the last few weeks. And big shout out to Terry. Speaks quite a lot about the boxing scene in the UK, about the club scene, which I've always been interested in. And something he's speaking a lot of is his mentor and old school trainers. And the topic itself? We're six weeks on from Taylor Catterall. What's changed? Six weeks to this very day, the Hydro in Scotland. The highlight of the boxing year for the unified and undisputed titles at one forty, two bricks in front of the eyes of the whole world. Not just the boxing world, not just the sporting world, but the world at large. And they, if there was a sabotage planned or plotted, or if there was some plan put in place to make this blow up and fall on its face... It couldn't have been done any better than it was. It really was an absolute catastrophe, for want of a better word. Apologies for the colourful language, but it boils my piss, and I promise that's the last one I'll use. It does. It really does. When you think about how everything has played out since, and and I'm going to just take a few minutes just to look at the before and after. In my opinion, it was the highlight of the boxing year, and until we have Fury White and until we see how that plays out, we we won't see an opportunity like it to surpass it again. Now, hopefully that fight will, for all the right reasons, make the headlines and for all the right reasons make the front and back pages. But taking a look at the promotion and the build-up to this fight with Taylor and Catterall, some of the stuff that we found out after the fight was almost as alarming as what transpired during the fight itself. We find out that tickets' allocations were, were sideways. We find out that the tickets themselves, undisputed unified title fight, didn't even have the two protagonists' names on the tickets. How can that be? How can that be? We find out that the same man... And and I'm not going into all of that side of things... Because let's face it... If if it's true and if there is one person advising these two guys... Despite what all the fighters said together... Despite what Jack himself said afterwards... Despite what we hear trotted out almost verbatim... Every time something comes up about this subject... This person, these people... If you were anyway independently thinking, you would think to yourself, "Mm, I wonder is this prepared? I wonder is this uh, pretty prepared I'm only saying what the vast majority of boxing fans have said since. If you are a boxing advisor, manager, mentor, you're advising two guys involved in one fight, after all this blows up, surely at some point you've got to stop and ask yourself a question. Did I do my job? Did I do the best for both fighters? And I genuinely have found myself wondering often, and aloud, has there been that penny drop moment where you think to yourself, maybe I didn't cross those T's, maybe I didn't dot those I's, maybe, just maybe, I didn't do great by one of the fellas here. Or is that too much to expect? Because, to be honest, when I look at the very elite level of boxing, and the very elite level of coaches, people involved in and around the fighters, and somehow manage to have the fighters ear. Because from all the coaches I've spoken to, from all the genuine ones who are who's who aren't skipping stages who are putting things in place step by step fight by fight and if they do make a bit of a miscalculation if there are mistakes made if camps don't go well they're noting it they're documenting it they're absolutely looking in the mirror after every fight after every session and asking themselves the question could i have done better how can i do better and that's that's what you would expect when you're sending one of these warriors or both of these warriors, to battle in front of the eyes of the world. And I would hope, I genuinely do hope, that that has been the case, and that somewhere along the line, we do see an acknowledgement, and we do see an effort to put this wrong right. And you can follow that thought, that trend, that theory, further down the line, both coaches, I'm sure, will look at themselves as, as they do As they do by by nature of of their business. In turn it will come to the fighters. And they above all else are the ones who look look themselves in the eye. They know when they put their heads on the pillow at night. They know the truth. And one of the two knows the absolute truth. And that I hope as well will feed into the eventual outcome of this. And, And I'll tell you what my hopes for the eventual outcome are. Eventually you'll probably tell me I'm crazy. But we'll see. Looking back again at the promotion. The before and the after. I think it's fair to say every advantage and every possible advantage minus percent in the build-up and the preparation and the planning and the overall production was in was in favor of of josh taylor now again you might argue and you might say to yourself well he was the champion he was the the unified undisputed champ so he's got to get all that advantage it was on his promoter's card it was in his home ground yes i understand a lot of that but to not have a man's name on a card, to man, to not have that man's face on a poster or on a ticket, to have his name even on a ticket, I mean, where are we going, and why? Why is the big one there? It can't be right. It just—it's not right. And as I've spoken with Carl Greaves in the past, when his fighter David Avenisian fought on Sky Sports cards and fought at different cards and. There's a there's almost a combined a united ignorance around fighters who aren't house fighters. So the preparation going into Jack Catterall versus Josh Taylor, many people slept. Too many people. Too many people who were paid to give their opinion on television slept on Jack Catterall. People who I look up to, people modern relevant pundits, who I look up to. One of whom is Carl Frampton warned everybody he warned people Jack Catterall is dangerous he is the best fighter his preparation the camps that he'd been part of with Canelo with Floyd Mayweather with all that experience and as I said in a previous episode the biggest mistake people made in the build-up to this fight and I include myself in this was probably assuming that because Jack has never boxed at that level because he had never been given that opportunity we all assumed he couldn't and again I don't want to go over too much old ground because one of the master strokes that was pulled on whoever was pulling the master strokes in the aftermath and, and and there may have been a couple for a couple of different reasons pulling from different directions but the overall idea was to cause confusion for the argument to get lost to get confused. Of course we had all the interested parties with a dog in the fight giving their tuppence worth after the fight. We had all the house broadcasters, all the house pundits and commentators and former pros lining up to say the same things. But for once, for once, and for the first time in such a long time, they were all singing off the same sheet and they weren't singing to the script. That was a first. Definitely a first for a long, long time. And yes, the day after, it all went back to script. Uh, i'm sure there was big meetings i'm sure there was calls made and i'm sure there was people reminded who was signing checks and where and when i'm very cynical when it comes to these things because and this is what hurt me the most this is what i thought about a lot afterwards my initial reaction this is not the worst i've ever seen it's not the biggest it's not the baddest and it's definitely not going to be the last and that is wrong that i should think like that initially is wrong and it was only when i went and I watched it and scored it a second time, then I was able to say, OK, my thoughts are, yes, it was the wrong decision, but not by as wide as people are saying. And here's just a quick reminder of what our pal Wayne McCullough had to say about the fight itself.
1: The last two rounds, he pulled back in the reins and he had it, he had it wrapped mm. up in partial. It wasn't a massive robbery. When you say you're watching, you're not really judging, you just sort of looking at then putting your score down. He couldn't give it to Taylor. A lot of people are saying it was a, he won by four and five points. The way the champion finishes the last two rounds, he closes the show and he shouldn't have won in the fight, but it's a, this business and nothing's done about it. Everything he learned went out the window. You know, both guys southpaw. and the first couple of rounds, he wasn't doing it. But then he started to bring his, his left hand over his chin to catch anything coming back. Josh Taylor doesn't know how to how to catch a jab coming back. The old cross guard. I mean, you're jabbing hands low, but your left hand, because they're southpaws, is over your chin. If you're an orthodox, your left hand's low but your right hand's ready to catch anything coming to the top, like a straight jab, a right hand, a left hook. Ketterall started doing that, and he started peppering Taylor with a double jab, a basic double jab. Mm-hmm. was going bang, bang, knocking his head back every time. Double jab, double jab. I'm not going to criticize. I know Ben Davis, but in the corner, they won't say to him, catch a jab. Do you know why? They don't know how to do it. Josh Taylor, he's gone he's backwards. He's got worse. It was a great performance by both guys, and but Taylor... He needs to learn from defense. one of the
0: very best, who mixed with the very best at the very top. He needs to learn defense, and the feeling I get when I hear Wayne say that is is similar to a feeling I got earlier on today when I read a tweet or a comment in an interview from Ryan Garcia, where he said, "If he can truly master the jab, it will take him to that next level." And before I could even process and add my own thought to that, I read Terry. I read Terry's reply, which is a little bit like a woodcutter talking about learning how to cut wood. It beggars belief. It really beggars belief. And part of the great smokescreen that was formed in the hours, days and subsequent weeks since then, we've seen certain podcasters, we've seen certain pundits, we've seen certain ex-pros, past and present, all add to the smoke, all add to the confusion, if you like, if you like, which then of course is taken on board by the casual fans, which is where the loudest voice comes from. And again, I don't want to say or use the term casual fan in too much of a derogatory word because they are the ones who bring the extra income. They're the ones who pay for the biggest fights because... Me and you and all the other boxing geeks, as I call us, we don't bring enough. There aren't enough of us. So we're relying on the guys who sit down and watch the football at five o'clock with four or five cans of beer and decide afterwards we're going to have a stick around and watch the boxing. They're who bring the extra dollars, the extra euros, the extra pounds, whatever you want, the old shillings. And it's those voices who inherently become the loudest and most retweeted and most regurgitated. And when you see a government minister, a Speaker of the House, take it upon himself to insert himself into the whole debate that we raged on afterwards and somehow, for whatever reason, report it to the local police, well, then you start to see manipulation and people using things for their own gain at its very worst. It reminded me a lot of John McCain inserting himself into the boxing. Disagreement of his era and taking it to the house. But again, when politicians tend to get involved, very little happens and nothing has happened. And again, I asked the question and I'm going to keep asking it. Six weeks later, what has happened? What has changed? Nothing. We had podcasters, as I said, with a dog in the race who had direct access to a lot of the main players, ask a certain amount of questions. But the one door that didn't open to answer questions. ...was the promoter of the fight? Why wasn't that door beaten, kicked, knocked down? Why? What has changed? Why go to the hassle of... ...inadvertently getting a comment from an individual... ...who is in the Middle East... ...who reportedly had so much to say? Why? When you won't go to the people who were organised... ...who promoted... ...and who share a large part of the responsibility in the lopsided promotion of the event why not just a question and then as I said you've got a lot of coaches got a lot of pundits and you got a lot of social media which again Wayne pointed out the biggest difference in this modern era is social media promoters will make a decision on a fighter a lot of the time it can be swayed going on the amount of support he's got on Instagram or Twitter and how vociferous he is and the efficacy of his following Now as all this unfolded and as the furore grew louder and louder and the outcome became less and less likely to change, two events stuck in my mind above all else in boxing in recent times. One was my good friend Dennis Hogan's robbery and that was a daylight robbery down in Mexico at the hands of Jaime Munguia and the other of course was the great dividing argument of George Groves and Carl As all that played out, I was a huge Carfroch fan. Not because of his technical ability or his style or anything else, but probably lack of all of that. And because of his just balls to the wall, willing to throw down and do whatever it took to, to win style. But I gotta say, in the time since and during, George Groves won me over. He won me over. Now, the outcome and the eventual outcome was absolutely... Undebatable, undeniable, and it was final, the way Groves was finished and the way Froch absolutely clinically put that away. But here's what he had to say about that fight and how he went about and how he would recommend and advise Jack Carroll.
2: So I watched it retrospect, knowing that there's a controversial decision at the end. But again, I like to be, un, you know, unbiased. I don't really want to have anyone else sway my judgment. And then once you know it's controversial, you're sitting down there with a pen and paper and you're scoring it round by round. Now, that makes a big difference to the casual boxing fan, myself included. When when you do it round by round, sometimes you come out with a fight that's a little bit tighter than what appears on paper, and it was a scrappy fight. There was a lot of rounds where, you know, there was there was some foul play. It's them early rounds which are kind of key. You assume before the fight starts that Taylor's the favorite. Taylor's going to, you know, be, boss, be bossing this fight. But Catrol is doing really well, and he's picking up these rounds. But some of them are kind of tight at the start. So the first four rounds, I think I gave Taylor the second. He then built into the fight in the middle rounds and seemed to really find his feet. You know, it, it it looked like he'd sort of buzzed Taylor in the first 20 seconds, or he'd caught him off balance, and Taylor couldn't really get past that. Couldn't get into his rhythm, couldn't get going. The clash of styles where it was Southpaw v Southpaw, Cattrall dealt with much better. He seemed much better prepared, technically, with a game plan, but I think, is it the eighth round when... Um, Catchall puts puts a great combination together, and it's a cuffing shot, and down goes Taylor. And now all of a sudden, your ears are pricked up, and you're like, "Well, these guys he's picking up these rounds here, and he's doing really well." But he's just put him over. Like he he could be on the verge of a stoppage here. A point comes off for, for Catchall, but at this point, you're thinking, "Well, it's by the bye. And then with a round to go, Taylor Taylor hits him after the bell, and he has a round or he gets a point taken off, so he's sort of even the score there. In your mind, you're thinking Catchell can't lose this fight now. By the end, the last two rounds are kind of subjective, difficult to score. If you gave the last two to Taylor just because you thought he might have nicked him, I'll come out at 7-5 for Catchell. If you gave Cattrall even one of the last rounds, then it's 8-4 with, a, with an extra two to one point advantage. He's a clear winner. I've got a little bit of experience here when there's a fight that, that, that sort of don't quite pan out as, as everyone who, who everyone in the arena or everyone at home watching sort of feels it should have. And when, when I boxed Carl Frotch and there was a controversial stoppage, the scorecards were controversial. I don't have them to hand, but one judge had to add me only around the head just so with the knockdown, that's a 50, 50 fight and stuff like this. And the, you know, we, the board, the, the board, sort of shrugged their shoulders and said, "Well, what do you? What can we do? Results a result. It's, it's buy the by. Let's, let's put it. Let's forget about it." And I can't really see them doing anything different now uh, for Jack Carroll. My advice to him would be: don't let this uh, go to bed. Keep kicking and screaming. Uh, put, push for it. Put some public pressure on on Taylor to get yourself a rematch. And people will say. Oh well, you know you're getting a rematch, you get, or or Taylor goes up and vacates. That's great because you know you'll get you'll be first in line for one of them belts. I haven't run a marathon, mate. Imagine finishing that marathon, and then as you cross that line, the the guy says, "Do you know what? I forgot to time it. We're not going to count that one."
0: And when I tell you I was not a George Gross fan at the time, I mean it. I mean it. And I'll be honest with you, the way it all played out afterwards, and his treatment, and the way he speaks of my good pal Paddy Fitzpatrick. I don't like that either but I do commend him and I do support and love how he went about his business and how he just refused to go away and stayed in the faces of all those who tried to deny him his right. Ultimately he got the opportunity and ultimately he just wasn't good enough on that night against that fighter. No crime in that. I'm going to wrap this up really quickly. The talk and the build-up to the fight was all about, from Taylor's side, how he could do his full career at 140, how the weight was easy, how he's had a great camp, the home crowd is excited. Everything. Everything. That's what was going on in the, fo- in, the in the foreground, in front of all the cameras. What people were tuned into and might have heard in the background that wasn't been made public was that things hadn't been so great between Josh and Ben. These things happen sometimes. Sometimes fighters will zig when they should zag, and they'll get called up and sometimes camps just don't go away the way they want. He had been sparring with Maxie Hughes. I believe it didn't go so well that Maxie was getting the better of him at times. Is that any great shame at this stage of Maxie's career? The way he's putting fighters away and the way he's putting displays together. All things considered, we were led to believe that this was going to be just another defence of the title before he went on to fight the next fight. and Possibly Terence Crawford at a catch with, Who knows? All that changed in the space of minutes moments after the fight he became the narrative became the way it had been tight that he was finished now at 140 he was going up to 147 Ben rose in behind him and all of a sudden the argument the point gets lost gets clouded and people are diverted and now we're six weeks on and again I ask what's changed? So as a finisher have a little bit of real talk a little bit of thinking out loud, if Josh Taylor is to go to one four seven he loses all the advantages. he loses all the size, strength, power, agility, everything that he carries into one forty because he is a huge one forty fighter when he goes to one four seven he's small. All you got to do is look recently at Terence Crawford and his um his squatting and his bench pressing and his his just incredible power under the bar sometimes he's not even training for it sometimes he's just rocked up to the gym in his casuals and he's 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 doing it you know you're dealing with you're dealing with fighters who can cause serious and frightening damage to you if you zig when you should zag you cannot have a night like that against Terence Crawford you cannot have a night like that against Errol Spence you can't have a night like that if you're against Boots Ennis or or victor ortiz or any of those top level 147 fighters if you're josh taylor moving up because you're not at that size you're just not all of that advantage is gone all of the things he learned under shane roguigan all of the versatility all of the angles all of the levels all of the moving his head off the line getting in out of the center getting back out it, it it it's it all has to come back and someone has to do it quick before it becomes too late Is there a reason? Is there any one reason? Is there any one protagonist? Is there any one person who contrived, who acted in the background to bring these set of outcomes? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there's a big case of favoritism. I think there's a big case of ineptitude. I think there's a big case of judging and refereeing not fit for purpose. The referee again on the night, absolutely terrible. Terrible. Didn't know when to get involved. Didn't know when to stay out seen it all so many times before and the subsequent suspension of ian john lewis is that enough is it fair is he the token lamb thrown to the wolves just to keep the crowd back to make it all look like we've acted is it enough when you consider how AAA star referees and judges are trained they are trained in a very similar to the old apprenticeship style where you spend your time traveling around with these guys and if you can't match what they match well then you're not ready crazy crazy again what has to happen what has to change i don't know but i can say that my hope here is and i and i said this around the time of the groves and frotch fight true champions true genuine bona fide champions these things don't sit well with them for carl frotch to put his head down on the pillow at night and think he knew He knew he was in trouble. He knew despite what any expert said, despite what any ref or judge said, Karl Frotch knew after that first fight he didn't take Grove serious, and he didn't do his camp properly. I'm not saying that that's what happened with Josh Taylor. I'm not saying that for a moment, but what I am saying is that Karl Frotch decided there's only one way to put this right and he put it right. For me, my hope is I believe Josh Taylor, I've been, Josh Taylor has probably been my favourite fighter since Carr Frampton retired, the closest thing too at least, I believe he's a true champion, I believe he's a throwback fighter, I believe with a couple of adjustments and a serious camp behind him, I I think he, he makes this a total different fight, now I also believe that Jack Catterall is a level fighter that people haven't seen and haven't given credit for, I believe we could be in for a super fight in the summer, somewhere in the stadium. And I truly believe that a real champion, a genuine, bona fide throwback fighter champion like Josh Taylor, will give that opportunity. Tell me, am I mad? Tell me, am I not? But until then, what's changed? And I want to play special homage and pay special respect to a boxing man who I've watched and learned from so much. In my short time doing this sad and sorry and a little bit pained to hear the passing of the great tommy Dix, on friday at the ripe old age i believe of 92 or 93 whatever the age whatever it is you are in the boxing world please just take a minute to if you don't already know who he is and what he's done look him up and you cannot but smile at the way he managed to be himself throughout the chaos and carnage that a sport like boxing can bring That's it from me and them until then. Thanks for listening to a little bit of an impromptu episode. And whatever else comes or goes or what happens over the next couple of days, don't ever forget or doubt. All's well that ends well.